Hello and welcome to episode 217 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we're back for a second episode on Ghost Trick, a game that was very near and dear to me nine years ago, and turns out is about as good as I remember. And uh, joining me today is first, Jonathan Logan. Hello there. And second first, Joe Padilla. Howdy, howdy. So, uh, Jono and Joe, um, I had a blast playing this game again. I, I beat the whole thing in about two weeks playing it off and on with some other games I'm trying to knock out before the end of the year. And uh, I, I knew the story beats uh, and at least the important plot points, so nothing was really a surprise. But um, some things I sort of for- I had forgotten or, or had passed sort of, you know, like filled in the blanks a little bit. Like, oh, I didn't remember all of these details, but now, but now but it all feels familiar to me. It was just a... Uh, it, it was just a warm, fuzzy feeling. I, I really, really enjoyed replaying this. Um, and Jonathan, this was also your second playthrough of Ghost Trick, was it, uh, or maybe third? If I, I don't remember exactly what you said pre- in the previous episode, third or fourth, actually. Okay, so um, is it as good the fourth time around? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, this time around was a considerably quicker playthrough because I wasn't like delving into every single conversation as as much as I would have. I just played through the entire game again to remind myself of all the events. Um. But I still couldn't help myself. By the end of the game, I was like clicking on every little every little conversation box that appeared at the top of the screen. I love this game. I think it's I think it's tremendously underrated. Um, it's not a perfect game by any means, but it has so much going for it that I think it should be more widely known than it is. Yeah, and it's um it's also brisker than I remember. I think I probably beat the game in less than a dozen hours. Maybe if you're unfamiliar, it could it would go up to fourteen or fifteen. But it's not it's it's not very long. There's eighteen chapters. Each chapter is definitely under an hour, probably closer to thirty or forty minutes. And uh, it never really seems to wear out its welcome. Like every uh, like they're giving you real stakes and real excitement in every chapter, and then and then it's over, and the ending is satisfying too. So Joe. Um, maybe without going into all of the plot details that we'll definitely address soon, uh, what were your what was your impression w- when the credits were rolling? Uh, I felt like it was a really it was a really nice ending to it. Um, I thought a little bit of the the sci fi explanations of the ghost tricks and everything was a little bit much, but in terms of the emotional impact and getting to see this happy ending kind of form through the the credits and everything was really nice and it and it left me with a generally positive feeling um you know characters who i had thought kind of little of um ended up liking quite a bit in the end and i think this is a great game excellent i I guess we're all in agreement uh this is a really good unique puzzle adventure visual novel whatever you want to call it and it uh it ends on a very positive note that is pretty remarkable in how it's able to tie so many threads together by the end. Or I shouldn't say so many threads, but it neatly falls into place at the end. Even though this is not the most complicated narrative, even though they do resort to some real weird uh, uh, supernatural time-traveling nonsense in the in the latter chapters. To, to, to say nothing of being able to rewind time to four minutes before someone's death in every chapter. So many paradoxes. Oh yeah, there, like if you if you uh, treat time travel with a level of scrutiny or seriousness that makes you unable to enjoy some time travel stories, this is not your game. <laughs> this game treats time travel as something that is a convenient plot device and not something that is you know has uh, like universe impacting seriousness. Uh, 
again, multiple characters in this game have the ability to rewind time to, to the point four minutes before someone dies, which is already weird. But um, the, where we left off was uh, chapter 10, uh, the w- one of the more unusual death scenes in the game, because there's only one character in it anywhere. <laughs> uh, the justice minister having a heart attack because he believes his daughter has been kidnapped. And um, <laughs> the operations you need to do to solve this one are, uh, if left unattended, um, he'll accidentally knock his bottle of pills off the desk and then accidentally knock his pitcher of water off the desk. But uh, what you have to do to succeed here is to gently shove the pitcher of water into his hand so that gives you some extra time. And then, like, ride some notes blown by a fan across the room to where the pill bottle is, uh, throws a like stick a globe onto the sword of an of a suit of armor and then play golf to knock the pill bottle closer to his feet and then then up a ramp so it lands on his desk it, there's even a great slow motion moment where the bottle of pills is flying in the air it like it it, it is completely silly but and uh and to an outside observer it's a man drops his bottle of pills and then the bottle of pills are magically knocked back onto his desk <laughs> It, it, it's one of the weirder chapters in the game because it isn't really a murder and, and there aren't really many players, but it, it fits the tone of the game and it's delightfully weird how you arrive at a solution. Yeah, you, you essentially had to you essentially had to mini golf uh, <laughs> these pills back over to him via suits of armor with swords. And that was weird and I thought hysterical. <laughs> And you have to put the globe on the top of the sword and not the fruit because the fruit is too small. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the, uh, what is it, the lightweight jar as the fulcrum for this for the ramp and not the heavy jar because you can't knock over the heavy jar as easily. This, this game is completely bonkers. I mean, come on. <laughs> Listen to myself or, or don't. It's, it, it, it's messy. I think it's one of the better puzzles in the game, personally. Like, it's one I had to put the most thought into, I think, and trial and error. Yeah, I, I think that I definitely had to employ some trial and error, especially in the second half of the puzzle, because the first half is sort of getting the water into his hand, and that's not that hard. But but figuring out what elements can get the pill bottle back over to him, uh, I thought was above average in, in challenge. And But I, I think of it more as for being just sort of unique, but just because it's a guy having a heart attack in a room and not and not an elaborate murder yeah, th- is, is what makes this one one of the more memorable puzzles to me. But, but I do agree it's memorable. But um, did, we get in, did we get much into the character of the Justice Minister and his wife and daughter in the, in the first episode? I don't remember. I don't believe so. Right. Um, in, the, in the apartment next to where uh, Lynn and Camila live, uh, there's a a woman who enjoys uh, typing on a typewriter and drinking wine and her young daughter. And it becomes clear later that they're the wife and child of the justice minister, but they've had a falling out because of, uh, of some, of some decisions that the justice minister made. We meet them briefly a couple times earlier in the game, but it, it comes more to a head in the chapters right after the heart attack. Because to prove to the justice minister that his daughter is safe, you have to, like, finagle getting a phone into her hands. <laughs> because her mom doesn't want her calling, uh, want the daughter calling her, calling their dad. And, uh, and to do that, you have to trap the woman in a chandelier 
with uh, with some help from some rats that take a lot of abuse over the course of Ghost Trick. I really feel bad for this game's rat population by the end. Oh, yeah. Well, Sissel is just doing what Sissel does. Yeah, um... <laughs> Yes, Sissel is very, very wont to manipulate rats to uh, to, his, to his or her purpose. Almost like it just comes naturally to him. <laughs> oh, I wonder why you'd say that. Hmm. But yeah, what did you think of that one? Like, um, like, I didn't think it was a very challenging one. The hardest part was timing it right so that you trapped her in the in the chandelier. It took me like three tries. Yeah, that took yeah that took me a little bit because she kept she kept dodging, and I was like, oh, stop being nimble. <laughs> Yeah, she like she even goes like full 180 degrees mm-hmm. on one of them, like like Neo in the Matrix or something. She's yeah. surprisingly limber. I mm. must be all the red wine. This she was another character who I did not like much at all um, early on in the game, and then as plot elements come to light, then you develop an affection for her. Yeah, I don't think there's any really wasted characters in this game. There's even the most minor character, like a prison guard. Or the chicken kitchen guy, or the uh, the weirdo in the park who's uh, handing out leaflets. They all factor into the story in multiple places and, and aren't just one-off characters necessarily. Yeah, it's pretty tidy and like kind of keeping everything and kind of keeping everything together. Um, and characters coming back into the fold as they exit and everything. Um, I thought it was surprisingly, I guess the word would be tidy. I guess in that in that aspect. Everything sort of neatly falls uh, back into place, which is you know something I enjoy about Dragon Quest games uh, more so, and and other RPGs that just just have a way of tying up loose ends that uh, not all video games do quite so successfully. But yeah, what is it called? Check Chekhov's gun. Every gun <laughs> goes off in this game. Yeah, um, the, basically, well, Chekhov's gun is uh, if you see a gun in Act One, the gun will be fired in Act Three. This is this does employ foreshadowing properly, but also, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem there's any wasted space in this game. And then by the time it end, by the time it ended, it felt like it almost felt too short, or that had, that it had gone by by quickly, which is a which is a compliment, I think. Yeah, I my experience was a little bit different because I hadn't played this before and um, had some difficulty with some of the puzzles. So, I for me, I've Felt like the pacing was just fine. Um, it didn't feel particularly brisk to me, but if I were to have been better at the puzzles, I think it would have felt uh, better paced in that respect. Yeah, um, one weakness to the puzzles in Ghost Trick, and I'm, again, I'm not sure if we mentioned this in the previous episode or not, is that basically every puzzle has one solution. And failing to notice one detail or not grasping one part of a puzzle's bizarre goofy game logic can really stymie you for a while uh this is jumping ahead a little bit but in chapter uh i think it's 15 or 16 w- which takes place in the superintendent's office whether there's a, f- a first for the first phase you have to avoid a bomb and in the second phase you have to uh prevent the death of uh of inspector cabanella there's one part of that puzzle where you just have to zoom the ca- pan the camera down and uh and 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 observe uh, and and find a leaf and you have about a 3 second window to do that. Oh yeah. And I just couldn't fi- I just couldn't figure out that I wasn't supposed to move. I wasn't supposed to act. I was just supposed to press the down button or scroll down with my stylus for about a second. And I <laughs> I was more stuck on that part of the game than maybe any other part of this playthrough of for of of all things. Like again missing one detail or failing to grasp one 
one step in the path that they're making you take is what is what can stop you from solving a puzzle for an entire evening. Yeah, I think I think the one that gave me the most trouble was the um was the first one where uh, missiles helping you out with it. The one in the park? Yes. Mm. Yeah, it took that one took me um that one took me a little bit of time to kind of piece to kind of piece it all together. Um the one that frustrated me the most, not because it was the most time consuming, but because of the leap and because of the leap in logic and was kind of like making fun of you was the submarine hatch. Oh. Um, yeah, when when you're there with missile and you're like, How do I open this hatch? There's nothing there's nothing I can do here. I'm completely stuck and I kept trying to go through solutions and I just let the time run out and then mechanical hand reaches down, Come on, let's go. I was like, Are yeah. you serious? Really? Yeah, you weren't supposed to open the hatch, you're just supposed to get them up to the very top and then let the timer run out. That's that was a surprise to me too. I also was not. I also was surprised to see the uh, the manipulator in the game sort of appear as a almost Tin Man like amalgam of mechanical parts. Um, maybe we should take a few steps back. Uh, <laughs> b- back to the uh, uh, back to the kidnapping and the justice minister. Um, when the, the justice minister calms down after he realizes his daughter is not kidnapped, but then you do realize that the person that was kidnapped is Camila. The 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 you know the uh, the neighbor of the justice minister's daughter because uh the, one of the idiot henchmen was told the apartment and told to capture a little girl coming out of the apartment which ended up being you know Amelie's neighbor and not Amelie herself so it's a uh, so Camila is is kidnapped and when you uh, have to you know mess around in a, an abandoned house where she's being kept to try and save her uh there's a bit of a chilling moment where one of the henchmen, uh, the, the female one, says uh, is able to sense your pre- pre- uh, your presence and threatens to shoot Camila if you follow them, <laughs> which I thought was a, was a little surprising. But that's also more foreshadowing because uh, all of the these blue people are aware of supernatural powers in a way that feels like a surprise um, because it turns out that they're collaborating with another person that has supernatural powers. This character has been sort of called as uh, is called the manipulator at first uh by Cabanella and Jaud and this manipulator person ha- has the ghost trick ability to um manipulate living things and the and the manipulator is, is uh who um you know messed with the contraption to fra- to frame Jaud's daughter Camila for the murder of Camila's mother accelerated Jaud's uh, ex- execution order by manipulating the justice minister, which is why he had a falling out with his wife. And also was responsible for that. The rock star um, shouting state secrets and the curry lover um, holding a, the super, the police superintendent hostage, which we mentioned in the previous episode, there's a manipulator ghost tricker that has been doing this. And he, and those last two events, the, the rock star and the curry lover were to prove to this, uh, to this, um, foreign power that his powers are real, which, which, uh, which brought those, all the blue people over starting all of this weird conflict. They, they want them. They're working with the manipulator to some undetermined end. Uh, after learning about that, we, we don't know who the manipulator is exactly at this point in the story, but we go to the park to try and save Camila, because you know, because um, uh, Sissel notices that M- Camila has a core inside of her, which means that she has been saved from death. And at the park, we run into our favorite Pomeranian superhero, Missile, again. 
And uh, Missile has ghost powers now because he uh, was run over by a motorcycle um, while on the while chasing after Camila. Mm. One of the saddest moments of the game. Yeah, it's so it's so sad and pathetic, and you're just like, oh, yeah. It, it feels random and sudden. It it feels like that, and it's also just when he when Missile turns up again, though you're so happy to see him, even though <laughs> you know, oh, you are dead. <laughs> And, and uh, Missile doesn't seem that concerned about being dead, as long as he's able to mm-hmm. still protect Lynn and Camilla, which is a, a very adorable way to process it. Um, uh, well, he's a good boy. No, oh, he's, he's an extremely good boy. And Missile, and so that gives you a second character to play through. Essentially, uh, Missile accompanies Sissel and plays differently, has different powers. Um, his transportation range is much longer. Which it, which feels great to move missile around the screen uh, when you've been struggling with Sissel's like 0. 0.75 <laughs> inch range for the whole game, but but missile has a, a very large draw distance and he can't manipulate objects, but he can switch the place of two similarly shaped objects. This this makes me think of like Japanese folklore with uh with, with tanuki raccoons turning leaves into clothes yeah, and stuff. <laughs> But, uh, very specific power. Yeah, but anyway, he he's, he can switch the uh, missile can switch the place of any two simi- uh, similarly shaped objects, regardless of their size. So when uh, Camila almost died because a section of a large statue fell on her, missile's able to switch to switch the statue, which is basically oval shaped, uh, with an with an oval shaped leaf. What is it called? Mino. I think is it's Mino. Mino. Yeah, M I N O. So Mino or Mino. So the large Mino statue. Uh, avoids Camila, saving her life, uh, and Missile can also do the four the four minutes in the past thing that Sissel can do, uh, but also strikes uh, strikes a, the poor vagrant behind some bushes <laughs> about five about five feet from uh, uh, from where Camila was standing. So that stage is Sissel uh, and Missile working together to save both Camila and this hobo, because uh, also I think because the hobo was uh, accidentally entrusted with the music box. That uh, that Jowd and Lynn need to um, to exonerate Jowd. Hey, we don't know for sure if this person is a hobo. They are techni- they are technically the guardian of Temsic Part Park, which is Kismet backwards, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is not an accident. No. <laughs> um, but l- 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 let's call him the guardian. So uh, you have to save the guardian by using Sissel and Missile's powers together. Uh, there's a lot of switching the location of um, baseballs, basketballs, and tires. <laughs> Uh, you end up switching the Mino stat, the ovular Mino statue with a, uh, with an ovular rugby ball, which seems to still knock out our poor guardian friend, but, uh, but doesn't crush him to death, which seems like an improvement. And this is going to sound stupid. Um, I, I didn't struggle with this one for that long, but I, the detail I missed that was holding me back a little bit was I kept forgetting to spin up, to speed up the, the, the jungle gym that he sweet, that he swings on. <laughs> oh. Because uh, the hobo jumps on a swing, then spins on a jungle. The guardian. I'm sorry, right? The guardian jumps on a swing, um, spins around a jungle gym, jumps on a seesaw, then lands behind a bush where the Mino statue falls on him. But if you um, manipulate the middle of the jungle gym when he's spinning on it, it speeds up, which has him hang on to the jungle gym for another eight seconds or so, which gives you the time that you need to uh, to to get the rugby ball in position. So, so that that stymied me a little bit, but I, I eventually figured it out. I kept trying to um, switch the the baseball and the tire. Yeah, I kept trying to send the tire into the air, essentially, and like that that dog don't hunt. It doesn't go very high. 
You got to get the basketball in the air. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It took. Yeah. It took me a bit of time because at first I was trying to like switch them in midair and you couldn't do that. And yeah, it there was there was a lot of complications that I had with that one. Um, yeah, they really are using the rule of three here. You have the baseball, the basketball, and the tire that you have to mm-hmm. get in the right positions, and then the leaf, the Mino statue, and the rugby ball in the right positions. It's and there's a puzzle near the end of the game where you have to find uh you have to basically make stair steps by putting three different fans in a different size order. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was they, they, I don't I don't know they, they communicate sort of rule of three uh like small medium large a couple times in their uh in their puzzle solving. After you take care of this and you get the uh you get the music box back to Jowd, he opens it up and it's the gun that was used to, that was used to kill his wife, which was sent set off in an accident. And that's enough to have the justice minister at least grant Zhao a stay of execution, if not totally exonerate him. And the next stage is uh, tracking down the manipulator character who is holding, who has killed our friend, the junkyard superintendent, and and is about to kill Inspector Cabanella. So you have to save both of these people in what I thought was maybe the, more, the most challenging stage in the game. It was the one where I had to zoom down to find to find a missile. Who's still trapped in a leaf and actually accidentally gets blown blown away in the park stage? Yeah, this this one was fun. I I really like the switching mechanic that you had, mm-hmm. where the um where the lid of the trash can was at first shaped like a wheel, and then when it fell down, it it was shaped like the um like the hatch that was below the professor. I thought that was brilliant. I tried to open up the hatch so the professor could fall down it in time. A few more times than I'm comfortable admitting. <laughs> and also another uh, great showing by this game's rat population. Mm-hmm. MVP rats. Yep. The rats, the rats knock over the trash can, which allow you, which gets the lid in place how you want it, so we can, uh, so you can replace it with the hatch, which is uh, locked or unable to open. So when uh, the manipulator character, who is the man in red, the uh, the person that Sissel believes is is uh, his true body. When the man in red sets off some dynamite, the pigeon professor falls through a trap door replaced with the uh, where the hatch is replaced with the garbage can lid instead of dying in the explosion. Amazing. And then the second half of this stage is Inspector Cabanella being led upstairs, attempting to shoot the man in red and failing, and then the man in red taking his gun and shooting him back. And what you have to do <laughs> to solve this one <laughs> is... Uh, Jump around as Sissel and Missile working in tandem. Only have Sissel manipulate objects when the uh, man in red is looking away, because he'll uh, he'll just he'll just sort of cut to the chase and shoot Cabanella if he if he realizes there's other ghosts present. But but then basically get a a knit cap shot across the room and landing in a certain place. So when the bullets fired, you can replace the you know bullet shaped hanging knit cap with the actual the bullet shaped actual bullet <laughs> so uh so cabanella gets like a, a soft cotton beanie launched into him instead of a instead of a bullet the false solution of this puzzle i think is the best joke in the entire game uh, the helmet the helmet I, yeah i did i did the helmet i lost it you can switch it with the helmet oh you haven't seen this no i haven't oh my god it's you should look up a YouTube video. You can switch the you can switch the bullet with the hard hat. I lost it. Which Cavanella gets? <laughs> yeah, Cavanella gets it right in the face. Oh, that's excellent. But, At but the that, speed of a bullet. But that's not a real solution. It won't work. That he'll will it kill him? No, everyone will just be like, "Well, that didn't work." 
<laughs> it's really it's funny. so it's so good because it's like a pancake to the face only it's a hard hat <laughs> a hard hat with that's moving at the speed of a bullet yeah Correct. it's yeah it's great really love that i will have to look that up later at first I was like, well, maybe this won't kill him. And because I kept trying to, with the knit hat and the book, they kind of look like bullets already. So I kept trying to like switch it with those and that wasn't working. And so then I actually did the helmet that definitely didn't work. <laughs> um, and then I you know, got to the solution of uh, Cabanel feeling all warm and fuzzy from a knit hat being shot into his face. Yeah, they really sell you on how soft that knit hat is, mm-hmm. like basically encouraging you to uh, to have that be the projectile that hits him. I really wish Cabanella was just wearing that hat for the rest of the game, <laughs> and just and just like in whispers, being like so warm, so fuzzy. I'm vaguely curious of the physics. Getting a woolen cap in the face at the speed of a bullet would that still hurt? You know, I'm mm. not sure. Uh, Let's test it. Uh, <laughs> volunteers? Uh, you know what? I brought it up. I'll do it myself. Uh, either of you has permission to shoot me in the face with a knit cap. Okay. If I can work out the ballistics of that, then I will be ringing you up, Joe. But in the I meantime, in, let's, in, in the meantime let's, uh, let's focus on the video game where this can happen extremely easily. <laughs> the Pigeon Professor and... Cabanella really end up knowing way more than uh, you definitely assume they do at the beginning of the game. Cabanella apparently was um, such a ruthless investigator only so he could rise in the ranks high enough to figure out how to save Jowd. <laughs> he, he wasn't ignoring Jowd. He wasn't uh, disrespecting him. He was doing all of this to try and help him. And that eventually got him a leadership within the special investigations group and some access to this uh, information about the manipulator. And the Pigeon Professor was researching the um, radiation coming out of that meteorite in the park. And eventually, the Professor and Cabanella came together and came to the conclusion that the manipulator had powers granted by that, by that meteorite. And all of this leads to uh, Cabanella, shoot, um, when he shot the man in red unsuccessfully, still at least put a GPS tracker in him, which takes you to, which allows uh, Jowd and Lin to uh, chase the man in red to the um, villain's hideout to try and, uh, to try and stop the manipulator character, who, who again is the man in red, and rescue Camila. And it ends up being a submarine just off the shore of Japan. <laughs> That's t- somehow tapping into underground cables in order to stay on phone lines. I, I never totally understood that. Nope. Nope, that logic uh, doesn't really appear present. Yeah, but their technology is a little bit off, so it kind of works. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I am in the utility business indirectly <laughs> uh, because I work for an engineering office that does water and sewer stuff, and I don't think this is how it works. <laughs> Just my professional opinion. Well, when you figure out the um, the gun that shoots knit hats, uh, try, to, try to build a, a cable-ready submarine, and uh, you, know, you might be on a roll. No, maybe I could just get... I could just go to a to a basketball game and steal one of those T-shirt guns, and that that might that might get us eighty percent of the way there to a knit hat cannon. Eighty percent's a great start. A knit hat cannon is the Canadian version of a T-shirt gun. Mm, so, you're, are you volunteering for me to shoot you with a T-shirt gun, Joe? Of course. Huh. Yeah. All right. Not even a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Now, now I'm serious. Now that I've thought of t-shirt guns, I'm seriously wondering if that'll hurt or not. Probably, it probably depends on how close you are. Well, it killed Maud, didn't it? In The Simpsons? <laughs> oh no, because she just fell off the end of the thing. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're not at the top of the risers, Joe, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. This will be like Fight Club, only with t-shirt guns. Um... <laughs> We'll secure you when we shoot you with the t-shirt gun. Like, like maybe uh, uh, have you strapped to the to a wall or something. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> paintball is paintball is over. It just uh, two teams with t-shirt guns. That's uh, the new that's that's the new uh, extreme kind of sport thing. But if you collect enough t-shirts, then you can wear them over each other, and that's armor from additional t-shirts. I would I would prefer that. This is this is very off topic, but I I still have a scar on my left arm from. The one time where I went paintballing, so. I took so many shots to the chest the last time I went paintballing. I looked like Rob Lucci in One Piece with just this <laughs> giant, this giant five-pointed scar in the middle, like, on on my chest and back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, anyway, enough about paintballing and t-shirt guns. We're, we're in a submarine now. Sissel and Missile and Lin and Jowd are trying to rescue Camila. There's a really scary moment where the manipulator uh, almost shoots and kills Lin uh, con- while he's controlling Camina- Camila with a submachine gun. Th- that was a moment. But uh, most of it is sort of just like doing your uh, ghost traversal through this by-, by switching the locations of different weights and opening and closing different valves and sort of just, just figuring your-, your way uh, across this space, which you've gotten very comfortable doing over the course of this game. But it ends up with a confrontation of multiple things in a row. Uh, the man that uh the man in red was the very person that held Lynn hostage ten years ago and was um involved in an investigation with C- Cabanella and Jowd and he apparently died, but um Jowd had never shot him. He was actually struck by the Temsic meteor at uh at the last moment, which gave him immortality and ghost powers, which he's been using over the past ten years to try and get revenge on Jowd and Cabanella and Lynn and possibly others it's extremely weird but the the bottom line is the man in red that Sissel thinks he is really is a man named Yomiel who was the the first person with ghost powers in this uh in this timeline so uh for a couple chapters um Sissel realizes he can't be the man in red so he takes the identity of a little ghostly wisp with sunglasses you can call him a uh, Chillo the Wisp oh boy <laughs> okay so uh Chillo the Wisp and and missile the Pomeranian so have to navigate through this sub, and eventually the evil blue people. Um, one of them escapes the sub, and another one reveals that he was a robot cyborg the entire time, which was sur- a surprise, and is okay going down with the ship. He they launch a torpedo back into the sub, so it starts slowly sinking, but not until not until after you have to go into a uh, the torpedo's detonator, which has another rat in it somehow. I just Sissel likes screwing with rats. I don't know why, but yeah. Just... <laughs> so, so that the torpedo only pierces the sub instead of properly explodes. So it just slowly fills with water instead of ending everyone's life immediately. Man, this it's saying it out loud again is completely ludicrous. It gets a little convoluted around the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> but bottom line, you use Sissel and Missile's powers together to help Lynn and Camilla reach the top of the submarine, which is slowly f- filling with water. And w- upon doing so, we go back to that uh, moment where 
a, a strange mechanical man rescues them. And that is Yomiel, who who does a lot of the explaining that I did a minute ago about how he got his powers and uh, why he was seeking revenge. Because his body was uh, launched out of the sub, so he ends up possessing several mechanical items <laughs> to form a, a vague human simulacrum. Uh, that, that that was weird, talking to strange robot Yomiel for several uh, minutes in the game. Kind of a cool mm-hmm. design, though. Yeah, yeah, basically. For being a bunch of scraps. Yeah, it, it's it, but the, the, the scraps aren't really contiguous. They're, like, floating apart from each other. Kind of like if you combined the Sega Genesis Vector Man with the Wizard of Oz's Tin Man. That's... Oh, yeah. Those are words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's... I mean, this is where the plot is sort of like it's starting to come together, but is but is also getting rid- more ridiculous with every second. Eventually, you were able to launch uh, Sicil and Missile use another torpedo to launch to launch themselves at the detached cabin where uh, Detective Jowd and the cyborg are, and you can try to save Jowd's life because because he is dead. Um, when the cyborg uh, like has a gun appear from the ceiling to shoot him, but there's really isn't a way to do so. And the real solution of the of the puzzle is to go into Yomiel's um, Yomiel's body, which no longer has the Temsic fragment in it, and as such is no longer an immortal body; it's a regular corpse. Doing that, Sissel and Missile and Yomiel and Jowd somehow are able to travel back in time ten years to four minutes before uh, Yomiel died, and basically undo the entire timeline right there in the final puzzle of the game. Shenanigans. Real shenanigans, <laughs> and and the the Mino statue factors back into it. Uh, for some reason, uh, sweet potatoes are an, are an important part of this final puzzle. Somehow, the Mino statue rests on a lamppost for like a minute, <laughs> and then get and then gets launched back to the lamppost and survives another full minute and uh, crushes one person's legs, and that ends up being the best possible outcome. I mean, I mean, <laughs> the whole the whole final case is crazy. I mean, one person with crushed legs versus, like, seven corpses? Pretty good trade. Hmm. In all of the, like, the painful moments of this game, and there's a few of them, the most painful moment is seeing Yamio uh, get it in the back. Yeah, uh, he gets shoved backwards, and then, he, like, a sharp protrusion in the... Uh, out of the lamppost gets him right in the back, which is, you know, a, a visible flinch from me. Mm-hmm. But let's also think about how many deaths are they averting? Like, how many people died in this game? Uh, um, depends how many times you count Lin. Yeah, <laughs> Lin four or five times. Then uh, then Missile. Then definitely two Hitmen. Uh, then the, then the uh, the cop that uh, ran its, his car into the restaurant. Then uh, Jowd... And Camila and Cabanella and the Pigeon Professor. That's nine by my count. And uh, the Hobo slash Guardian of the Park is ten. I'm pro- there's probably more. I forget. Oh, the uh, the the Justice Minister makes eleven. Mm-hmm. And then there's the one who was killed before the game even started, but it's uh, Jowd's wife. Oh. Yeah, that's right. And we undo her death. We undo her death as well here. Yeah. So that's a that's a full that's a full dozen at least. We're, we're probably forgetting others. Um, maybe Yomiel himself might count. Yeah, yeah, he does. So at at least thirteen people die in the regular timeline in this game, and you undo basically all of it in, by uh, doing a slightly complicated final chapter where you um, knock a sweet potato out of uh, out of a ten year old Lin's hands, 
have water spouts push the sweet potato high enough so that Missile can switch it with the giant Mino statue. And then have a half-sweet potato replace a bullet so that Zhao doesn't kill Yomiel. Again, this is a very sweet potato-heavy chapter. When sweet potatoes did not have very much presence in the in the previous 17 chapters. But it it ends up with a remarkably happy ending. With time about to be undone for 10 years so that uh so that Yomiel uh who was who was pressured into the um in, into the hostage situation by false accusations from the government Yomiel was a uh, was a computer programmer working on a security contract by basically by doing undoing all of that Yomiel does go to jail for several years but everything else ends up pretty happily and again we even see Camila's mother uh serving cake at a at a uh, at a party for Lynn but I'm I'm dancing around a little bit. We have the two big reveals at the end of the game that blew my mind the most. <laughs> First, Sissel's true identity. Um, Sissel is the cat from the beginning of the game. Whack. Joe. Wild. Joe. Uh, at the end of the previous episode, we asked if you had any predictions about the ending, and you did think that perhaps um, Sissel could have been an animal or a child that didn't know things that a normal adult human would know. Mm-hmm. And uh, did it ever occur to you that Sissel could be the cat that you see for two or three scenes here and there? No, it didn't. It hadn't crossed my mind. Yeah, I was I was pretty taken by surprise when I when I started seeing it forming. I was like, I didn't know that Sissel was the cat up until they showed that um, um, you went back ten years to that night, and there's and you, and you see the cat. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. saw the cat, and I was like, oh, because I. With everything else in the game, there's so much that's so deliberate in this game from Cabanella, you know, shooting a bullet that he knew wouldn't do anything to um, Yomiel to the errant first shot that Lin has on Yomiel. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, this cat is unaccounted for. This is Sissel's character. Yeah, and there's a reason... They they have it tie in that that Sissel the cat was there at the event ten years ago. They mentioned that he was a, a stray kitten, and that uh, after Yomiel's uh, in the original timeline, after Yomiel dies, he tries to snuggle up to Yomiel's corpse, and Yomiel decides to adopt Sissel. And when Yomiel was planning his revenge for ten years, Sissel the cat was his constant companion, and Yomiel named the cat Sissel because his fiance. Uh, who committed suicide after uh, following his uh, Yomiel's death was also named Sissel. So he named he named the cat after his uh, departed fiance, and for ten years Sissel is the happy cat companion of the revenge obsessed Yomiel. But that's undone when you divert the path of the meteor that kills Yomiel, and it has it and it lands in Sissel the cat instead. <laughs> so in the epilogue, Sissel is an immortal kitten with ghost powers <laughs> and at roll credits. <laughs> but uh, I, I jumped over the other big twist. Uh, you you meet up with Ray again just before you rewind time back to uh, to, un- to undo the mess of the past ten years, and Ray ends up being a time traveling ten year old version of Missile the dog. Oh boy. And then you get to see an entirely other version of the night's events, yeah. which is so cool. You, you see an alt timeline version that happened before the events of the game proper, where Sissel basically ignores the plight of Lynn and others. Uh, Missile and Camilla both die in the apartment. 
but when missile dies, he's standing close enough to Yomiel that the that the meteorite radiation inside Yomiel affects him. That's how that's how Sissel got his powers too, because he was in the basket right next to Yomiel when uh, the errant shot from Lin killed Sissel. So missile with powers basically just sprints around trying to figure out how to save Lin and Camilla, and even meets with Sissel, but is unable to get the help he needs. And another small detail, uh, when, when someone gets ghost powers by dying within the vicinity of the, of the meteorite, the powers differ from person to person. Yomiel can, uh, manipulate people or objects, but he can't rewind time. Sissel can rewind time and manipulate objects, but can't control living creatures and can't switch objects like Missile can. Missile is more mobile than Sissel and can rewind time and can switch objects, but can't travel through phone lines. And the fast travel ability that, uh, Sissel has, is quietly crucial to the entire plot of this game. Uh, again, proving that uh, the, the best powers are time travel and fast travel. Yeah. So yeah, if you, ma- if you make an action game in 2020 without fast travel, make another action game. <laughs> so uh, with those details, Missile realizes that, that, he, that, he, that uh, everything's fallen apart and he needs help from other ghosts to get an outcome where his, uh, his masters survives. So Missile somehow finds his way to the submarine and, uh, and witnesses the blue people betray Yomiel. But he uses Yomiel's corpse to go back ten years again and then quietly waits for ten years as an aging ghost dog for Sissel to die in the junkyard again. And then instead of asking Sissel for help to help save his master, he offers to help Sissel discover who he is. And, you know... Like, a, a dog dying for his master and a cat need, needing some extra motivation to do something is, I think, very in character for dogs and cats. Totally. <laughs> but but the wise 10-year-old missile, who is uh, considerably more chill than the excitable puppy missile, is able to not manipulate, but just encourage Sissel in the right way to go on a journey of self-discovery that also is a journey to right the wrongs of that crazy night with the meteor 10 years earlier. And you end up with an outcome that is extremely cuddly and favorable to everyone just because a 10-year-old ghost dog was that determined to save his master, which is which is just beautiful. I know we're not trying to, you know, logic the heck out of this game, but I I didn't understand why Missile aged, but Sissel doesn't as, you know, ghost animals. Well, Missile had 10 years to age. Missile... The first missile died beside Yomiel. Uh, he didn't have the powers to save any of his mistresses, so he went back in time 10 years. And then just waits for 10 years. Whereas Sissel just, Sissel in the original timeline just pissed off, was like, whatever, and just left, and Missile never saw him again. And in the other timeline, uh, Ray tricked him into uh, helping. And also, um, in the current timeline, at, at the very beginning of the game, Sissel uh, is a 10-year-old cat. Like Sissel is a kitten ten years ago, and then age, oh, yeah. and then ages ten years as the companion of Yomiel, and uh, and ten years for most cats is is really middle age. Not they're they're not ancient. And if, and if you figure Missile is maybe a few years old, and then is in, is in his early teens as a uh, when he goes back in time and ages ten years, that that can be quite elderly for a dog of any size. So did Sissel stop aging at ten then? Because there's because they made the note at the end of the game. Like, oh, this cat doesn't age or anything. No, no, th- that's a kitten sizzle. That is the that is the kitten sizzle. There was a stray kitten in the ca- in the park 
that in the original timelines adopted by Yomiel, but he stops aging because Kitten Sissel gets hit by a meteor. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I know. Adult Sissel goes back in time, and then when they change the past, they basically they uh, they change everyone's future, and um, this timeline resets with Kitten Sissel having a meteor inside him and becoming an immortal ghost cat. Oh, God. Yep. This conversation would be better if we were like docking Back to the Future Part 2 with a chalkboard and we could just be like, okay, this is this timeline and this is this timeline. Yeah, this is this is starting to get like um like a Pepe Silva Pepe Silvia moment from uh Always Sunny. Oh, oh yeah, when when uh, when Char- when Charlie is trying to work out who Pepe Silvia is and has a bleary-eyed um corkboard full of pictures and letters when really he um the the solution is charlie can't read properly and is just misreading the word pennsylvania <laughs> yeah yeah that it feels a little bit like that uh, the, the comparison i would make is um another game we've covered on this podcast uh virtue's last reward which has its own you know cork board full of confusing timeline questions that i i could not explain to you even if i had notes Ooh, i still need to play that Oh, it's great. Uh, Uchi Koshi is a hell of a game writer, and I strongly recommend playing 999 and uh, Virtue's Last Reward and The Somnium Files, and somewhat less recommend playing Zero Time Dilemma. Yeah, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that across the board. There's a reason that we did a podcast on 999 and VLR and then stopped before doing a ZTD. It's because a few people <laughs> on the podcast, myself included, were less eager to replay that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But um, but yeah, Uchikoshi messes around with timelines and uh, parallel universes. But so does Ghost Trick. Amazingly, I was I was playing those two games, uh, two games, The Somnium Files and Ghost Trick, uh, two murder mystery, visual novel, science fiction, puzzle adventures, <laughs> basically back to back. And uh, Ghost Trick probably does not need a level of analysis of its uh, of its time travel powers and super and supernatural powers because. We don't need to poke this thing full of plot holes. I'm sure they're, they're, they exist. I just don't care enough to, to get upset about it. Yeah. I thought about it quite a bit. I feel like the timelines, they sync up. I, it's pretty watertight. It's just three different timelines, two of which cease to exist. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not a big concern of mine. For me, I will, in basically any story, I'll accept many leaps of logic as long as I'm interested in the themes or the philosophical nature of the characters or something. So I can, I can deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of bull in these games. Hmm. Yeah. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that I am very okay with this, uh, with this, you know, fast and loose time travel. And I'm just happy that everyone seems to end to, to be happy at the end. I'm, I'm, I am just, I'm very tickled that an immortal kitten gets to live with a loving family. And that's the epilogue. Yeah. It's funny. I have a lot of fond memories of this game, but my fondest memory of this game has nothing to isn't isn't mine. My partner adores cats. Like she loves cats, arguably more than she loves me. And I've had to. I'm fine with that. Um, I'm fine with that. And uh, I was always recommending to her, hey, "Honey, you really need to play Ghost Trick. You you need to play Ghost Trick." And finally, finally, I got her to play Ghost Trick. So, what was the look on her face when she realizes Cecil C- is a cat? Oh. I was just sitting there waiting for the moment. I was so excited. I was just sitting there, and I, I remember it very clearly. I'm at my computer. I'm typing something, and then I just hear from behind me, oh, I'm the kitty! <laughs> <laughs> and then 
like she was enjoying the game and then it just took into it went to an entirely other realm of enjoyment at that point and like she was like especially there were tears when at the very end of the game in the last section where the the kitten version of Sicil is just saying somebody somebody see me somebody pay attention yeah. and it was it was it instantly became like one of her favorite games at that moment <laughs> yeah if somebody loves cats it like really loves cats and they like adventure games this is the thing to put in their lap when they have no idea about the ending i, I also think this is a wonderful game for for dog appreciators because missile being this overexcited Pomeranian that uh, that Sissel refers to as a little warrior is is very is very cute and uh, like like dog owners will get it like oh yeah it's a little warrior it's a a dog acting this excited but then um, Missile's unwavering devotion to try and save Camila and Lynn even in death and then going back in time and waiting ten years for a better opportunity to save everyone is just I, I mean it, that's just beautiful and even heartbreaking and. Um, for such a positively portrayed uh, dog and cat in their own way, I think that dog and cat lovers should try to avoid getting spoiled by the true identities of Sissel and Ray, but also just, I, I think if you love dogs or cats or both, you'll get more out of that, uh, out of those endgame reveals. Because, I mean, I, 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 I like cats. I am not anti-cat, but I, am a, I grew up with dogs my whole life and, and love dogs very much. We, we've had dog and cat podcasts on this very show, and I was on the dog podcast and not the cat one, which, which, uh, which, you know, communicates enough. That could be another spinoff, Pets Encounter. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, pet, uh, I mean, we gotta have the bird and lizard people, uh, get their shine in one episode. But, I, but I, I think that dog lovers and cat lovers will get slightly more enjoyment out of this game because of how well portrayed Sissel and Missile are. I, I, I truly, I truly think that I've had I've had conversations uh, about that with people on staff before, basically Alana and Steph. I think that you said, Slosi. I think you said it last last uh, podcast, which was this game was very obviously made by a pet lover. Yes, um, we, we know that Shu Takumi had a Pomeranian named Missile and wrote his Missile into the game, but just the way that the dialogue handles Missile's voices even in the first half of the game when he's an excitable young Pomeranian and not the wise old Pomeranian. Huh. It, like, like the, the way that the dog is portrayed both as a young dog and an old dog and the way the cat is portrayed as sort of slightly capricious but also a kitten just, just wanting attention for that one moment in the end game. I really believe that uh, this game was written by a pet lover and pet lovers will get more out of this game, at, at least at the very end. I think he really puts a lot of himself, in, like, I mean, just based on how much of the pre puts in himself in the game, we can oh, also yeah. probably assume that he really likes sweet potatoes. Yeah, you know, he probably is a Yam <laughs> fan. I agree. I agree. But, but also, like, you get this in the Phoenix Wright games, too. This is a game that has a lot of sort of peculiar sense of humor that's both that's both very visual and very clever but just creates odd characters and just has them interact is is where a lot of the, is where a lot of the humor comes from i think because this is a, f a funny game for the most part and has a lot of personality and and i think that it, a lot of it is the special designs and dialogue coming from Shu Takumi's t Capcom team this this there this game has a voice mm -hmm. that, it does uh, that is i mean not not to say that other games don't have voices but that this one just has a very specific voice that you can sort of recognize and appreciate i think i find it uh I find it interesting. Nowadays, like when I when I was playing it, I was very much reminded of a I, I know it was released by Capcom, which is one of the largest studios in the world, but with the graphical style and the the style of storytelling, it feels like a indie game. 
like like earlier today, Nintendo had their indie thing, and if like this game was in that that presentation, it wouldn't have seemed out of place. It would have looked right. It would have felt right. It's a very personal, small scale story sort of thing. I could see that. I wonder if down the line we're going to have more games that kind of try to um, simulate this sort of style. These kinds of DS games with very fluid animation, despite the limited graphical output, and, and it's a it's an interesting style, and I, I think I'd like to see more of it. Yeah, uh, this game has basically what you would call adventure gameplay, like, like because you and you you have these these two D almost diorama like environments where you're where you're selecting and interacting with objects and characters. In a way that you know you could compare it to a Japanese visual novel or an American adventure game, like there's there's similarities there, but just the, the puzzle mechanics and the puzzle gimmicks are so unique, and the premise, which I think is again a, a strength of this game, you uh, you wake up as a ghost and try to solve your own murder. That that's a great ass premise. It comes from a very unique place, and I also would like to see more games like this. Um, Shoot Takumi is definitely consumed with making more Ace Attorney games. Uh, it's I think they're in the into the second or third. Sherlock Holmes, one of those. They finished the second. I don't know if the third's getting released. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know what um, Takumi's up to now. There's been a disturbing dearth of Ace Attorney news the last few months. I'm hoping that there's new stuff coming out soon. Yeah, I mean, you might be due for an announcement. It's but it's interesting because this game. I mean, obviously, same designer and scenario writer. But although this game isn't an Ace Attorney game, very different in style, it still kind of works around the same concept, which is turning the situation around. Like, every single case in Ace Attorney is turnabout. Um, every single murder in this is you have to turn the situation around to save them. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's just the kind of uh, the kind of narrative that he likes to design. Because I, I think that having Phoenix as an underdog in every single case he takes part in is part of the, the narrative of Phoenix, right? You're, a, uh, you're a, a defense attorney that has to overcome odds against you. And, and in this game, you have to, uh, you have to undo a murder... Uh, or or undo a death in every in every stage that ba- that basically creates an arc and creates stakes for every case in Phoenix Wright and every chapter in Ghost Trick. It, it's probably uh, I'm sure Shu Takumi's game design philosophy includes that somehow. But I I, I am interested in any game that he that he comes out because I because I, I enjoy almost every Ace Attorney game I've played and and love Ghost Trick. Mm. And I sort of wouldn't mind him moving away from Ace Attorney if the next game he makes, even if it isn't a Ghost Trick two is as unique and cool as Ghost Trick is. This is a special game from a developer who's had a lot of success, even though it's mostly within one series. And I, I think it's a must-play. I think this is like a top three or four DS game. And I haven't played it on on iPad or uh, or its other ports, but I'm sure it controls amazingly on a tablet. Because, it, 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 again, it's basically a one-screen game with heavy touchscreen interface. Yeah, the controls translate really well to iOS. I, I bet it does. I... Oh man! Now I want to follow up to Ghost Trick more than anything, or or just just another <laughs> an, another game that Shutokumi makes that actually gets localized. It's interesting. I uh, Joe, when you mentioned the animation and especially like Cabanella's dancing around a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a review for uh, the Great Ace Attorney, the the period piece that hasn't been released here. I, I wrote a review for it. It should be on the site in a few weeks, actually. But Sherlock Holmes, his moves and how he moves reminds me a lot of uh, Cabanella. 
I love the animations in this game so much. C- Cabanella is one of the standout examples, and we mentioned it in the previous episode, but it, it, these are some of the most entertaining character movements <laughs> of that entire era. Yeah, he's got some good dancing in this game. Oh, yes. but Oh, oh shoot. The, the dancing prison guard. How, how dare I forget? So good. Yeah, I, I really like this. I guess I have to play an Ace Attorney game because if this is the way uh, Shutakumi... Joe. Is, what? I know, okay? <laughs> How have we gone one and three quarters podcast episodes about Ghost Trick without you mentioning that you've never played an Ace Attorney game? I think I I think I mentioned it like early in one of the episodes. Maybe I blocked it from my memory and it needs to be unlocked in Asomnium or something because we <laughs> th- this is a problem. It's uh, it's worth playing, especially especially with the uh, trilogy, the current trilogy package. Get it on yeah, P- right. get it on mm-hmm. PC or Switch. Don't don't touch the iOS version; it's a disaster. Literally, the only game I've ever played on a, a mobile device has been uh, the Adult Swim games, uh, John Boulder of Death. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's not really my preferred uh, platform. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah. A package including the first three Ace Attorney games is a very entertaining journey that I would wholeheartedly recommend, Joe, even though we're supposed to be talking about uh, the Ace Attorney's creator's other game. <laughs> no, I just got it from my mom for Christmas, actually. Oh, nice. oh, that is nice. Yeah, she's been looking to get into gaming, so I've been trying to figure out games for her to play, and so she loves Layton. Oh, okay. Th- 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 oh, that, nice. that'll, that'll fit right along. I mean, imagine when she gets to the Layton versus Ace Attorney game. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Layton versus Ace Attorney was pretty good. Not 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 my favorite in either series, though. Uh, it's funny uh, having played Great Ace Attorney, which was never released here, and uh, uh, Layton versus Ace Attorney. The DNA of those two games is very similar. Mm-hmm. They feel very similar. Layton versus Ace Attorney was bef- was between Ace Attorney Four and the first Great Ace Attorney, and then Ace Attorney Five and Six didn't have as much involvement by Shu Takumi because he was work- focusing on the Great Ace Attorney games at the time. I think. Yeah. I'd have, to, I'd have to check the timelines there. The review will be out in a couple of weeks, but I, I okay. really enjoyed it. Um, I'm really, really hoping that uh, the team that is doing the unofficial fan translation gets to work on the second one because there's a lot of unanswered questions. But, like, I, if you wanted to play it, just, I mean, do what I did. I bought the game on, I think I think it was Amazon Marketplace. So I bought the I bought it from Japan, had it delivered here, and it's really easy to patch. And that way you don't need to do it. There's no uh, funny business there. You own the game. It's yours. Okay. Okay. No, I'm going to slow you down a little bit. If we're talking about the legality of patching Jap- Japanese <laughs> 3DS games and buying Christmas presents for our parents and just, you know, Japanese lawyer period piece games in general, I think we're at the end of the episode. <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, that's been Ghost Trick. All three of us really liked it and, and recommend it. I hope you have been, uh, I hope you have beaten the game already if you're listening to this episode because we spoiled all the best parts for you. But I think that we came to the conclusion this is an extremely cool, uh, anime murder mystery puzzle adventure visual novel extravaganza. <laughs> Play it. Yes. It's available on iOS. Just get it. It's worth it. If you liked it on one system, buy it on the other system and play it again. Because that's the only way we'll get Shu Takumi uh, to unshackle himself from the Ace Attorney series. But uh, let's end the episode for real now. Um, next week we have our 2019 year in review episode. Uh, we haven't recorded it yet. Um, we're recording it in a few days, in fact. But we are. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about all of the um, all of the games of the year and even games of the decade. RPG Fan recently released a Games of the Decade feature, which is a five part series of articles 
that delineates the top 25 RPGs and visual novels uh, from the years 2010 through 2019. I will not say whether Ghost Trick miss, makes the list or not, but let's just say I'm a little disappointed. So please look for, uh, look for the uh, top 25 games of uh, RPGs of the decade feature on the website and listen for the 2019 year in review episode next week. Uh, I think, uh, okay, I know we are also doing a um, best of 2019 featured RPG fan, but that's definitely not out yet. I think that's going to be out like right around the new year, like last week of December is when you can expect that to come out. Um, we're in the mid in the midst of planning and writing it. So it's definitely not, uh, not ready. I know I, uh, uh, I know what the RPG fan game of the year 2019 is, um, but I'm not going to say it on this episode. Probably a wise choice. Oh, yeah. Uh, but after the 2019 year in review episode, we are doing two episodes of, on Suikoden 5 in January, a special PlayStation 1 episode in January, and a couple more that I haven't nailed down yet, but we are definitely going to have plenty of retro encounter for you, the listener, in the new year. Uh, and listeners, if you want to reach us directly, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also find RPG Fan on uh, message boards on rpgfan.com. We have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a Twitter page, a Discord server, and a Twitch channel with something streaming every day. Uh, there, well, RPG Fan is the host of four fine podcasts, uh, including Retro Encounter, which you're listening to now, Random Encounter, which is focused on randomness and current events, Rhythm Encounter about RPG music, which sadly hasn't had an episode in a few years, and lastly, Phoenix Edge, a recent addition to the RPG fan family of podcasts who uh, are hosted live on YouTube every week and mostly focus on current events. You can re, uh, review our Retro Encounter or any of those podcasts on iTunes or Google Play or however you're listening. Please do so. Five stars, five stars. W- um, we welcome any feedback you may provide. So uh, let me finally stop talking for a few seconds <laughs> while Jono and Joe share their uh, social media uh, with you, the listener. So uh, starting with you, Jono, how can listeners reach you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter uh, at John Logan, and uh, just my stuff on the site. Okay, Joe, uh, same question. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Discord, Instagram, and probably other outlets as at Queers for Fears. And listeners, you can find me most easily on Twitter. I'm at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on uh, the RPG Fan Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So. We ghosted and tricked our way through 18 chapters of a pretty cool murder mystery game that goes real weird places with ghost cats and ghost dogs. Uh, And technically the entire game takes place in a single evening over about six hours. That's one crazy part that I I seem to neglect. The the whole game takes place in a single night. Sissel thinks that it's because he'll stop being a ghost in the morning, but really just Missile was messing with him. That's Kismet. Indeed. Kismet in Temsic Park. Thank you, good night, and good luck.